0: were arrested for being a Christian, will there be enough evidence to convict you? That's one of the many tough questions asked by our teacher, Dr. J. Vernon McGee today as we open our hearts and Bibles to Proverbs chapter 20. Welcome to Through the Bible. I'm Steve Schwetz, your host on our five-year journey through God's entire Word. So as you find your seat on the Bible bus and find your place in God's Word, here are a few encouraging letters from those sitting around us on the Bible bus. First, we hear from Kyle. He writes, I love Through the Bible. I'm currently on my third trip with you. The thing that surprised me the most during our journey together was learning that Jesus is in every book of the Bible. I had no idea. In fact, until I rode through Exodus, I thought the second half of Exodus was one of the most tedious and boring sections of Scripture. But Dr. McGee taught me that Jesus is in every part of the tabernacle. Every post, every stand, every curtain, every fiber in every curtain, and every piece of tabernacle furniture speaks of Christ. How wonderful. While the second half of Exodus may not be my favorite section of Scripture, I now read it with new perspective, awe, and reverence for it. Well, thanks for sharing your story, Kyle. And I agree, that study in Exodus changed my perspective as well. I'm so glad that you've hopped aboard the Bible bus with us. Now, here's some good news from Michael in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. Thank you for your continued teaching. I heartily pray for our friends around the globe with you almost every day and listen to your program just the same. In fact, my parents began listening to Dr. McGee when I was just five years old. Those seeds of truth are watered still today as I soon turn 43 and still sit daily under this priceless ministry. Through physical trials and coinciding addiction, our faithful father delivered me, this prodigal, again and again until I admitted my helplessness. The Lord picked me up, miraculously restored me, and has assigned me to serve in addiction recovery. Friends of the Savior are there. We share the truth. Just this month, two friends in our program confessed faith in Jesus Christ. Thank you for building me up to testify with the daily bread provided in God's Word. May your every effort be multiplied in His good pleasure. God is good. Thanks for sharing with us, Michael. And may God bless your ministry as you share His love with others. God has begun a good work in you, and He will continue it to completion. Our last note, this one, is from Cody in Texas. Thank you for all the sound teaching. I have been on the Bible bus since 2010, right before I was about to graduate college. Dr. McGee, I called him Grandpa McGee, has helped me understand the Bible more than any other teacher I've had, save the Holy Spirit. I was drawn to his program because he speaks like most of the folks down here in my part of Texas. I also have a country boy accent, and what better way to understand someone than hearing it in your own tongue. Cody continues. I teach the teen class at our church. Through the Bible has helped me in leading these teens in their walk with Christ. Please pray for our little country church. We're in some spiritual battles and could really use the prayers of like-minded believers. And let's do that. Let's pray for Cody's church together and for our churches all around as we go about our days. And, you know, big or small, let's ask God to guard and guide them for His glory. Well, December is Letter Month, and we'd love to know how God's using His Word in your life and in your church. Are you learning something new as we study together? Are you sharing these great lessons with those around you? We really do want to hear from you. You can email us. That's super easy. BibleBus at TTB.org's is the address. Or you can send your handwritten note to Box 7100, Pasadena, California, 91109. In Canada, Box 25325, London, Ontario, N6C 6B1. Now let's pray for one another and get the Bible bus rolling. Heavenly Father, we're so grateful for the amazing power that your word has to change our hearts and lives. We pray, Lord, that your blessing on those listening today would go out and those who in turn share it with others. May your glory and goodness be a reality in our lives. In the precious name of Jesus, amen. Here's our study of Proverbs 20 on Through the Bible with Dr. J. Vernon McGee.
1: Now, friends, we come to the 20th chapter, the book of Proverbs, and as we do, we are proceeding in this section that we have said is so important because, very frankly, it sets before us the wisdom of Solomon, and it's particularly directed, in fact, rather specifically directed to young men. Now, I think it means not only young men, but it means to... Every Christian today. In fact, unbelievers can learn a great deal from this. I believe that the reading and study of the Word of God will bring you to God or it will certainly drive you from Him. It will have a definite effect upon your life and it will do just that. Now, as we move on in this, I want to begin today with this first verse and This was the first time that we've had any warning concerning alcohol or concerning the use of booze, if you please. I like that name for it because that has all the connotation of the evil that liquor and booze has done down through the ages. And I suppose that alcohol has wrecked more homes, more nations, More businesses than anything else. There's nothing to compare to it in that particular connection. And it says, wine is a mocker, strong drink is raging, and whosoever is deceived thereby is not wise. Now, I personally don't want to get into this controversy again, but it's my firm conviction that the Lord Jesus did not make an intoxicating drink at the wedding in Cana Galilee. Now, anyone that tries to make of him a bootlegger there is doing absolutely an injustice. Somebody gives me this argument. Well, you know that in that climate, in that day, that all you had to do was to put that grape juice in a wine skin, and in time it would ferment. Yes, but the Lord Jesus started out with water. And in a matter of a few seconds, he had wine. My friend, it didn't have a chance to ferment. No possibility at all. And then you must remember that this was a wedding there in Cana of Galilee. And that in a religious service like that, everything that had to do with leaven was forbidden and would not have been included at all. And that's the reason that the time of the Passover, the wine could not have been fermented. That would be the working of leaven. And leaven was forbidden in bread, and it would be forbidden in the drink also. The bread and drink could not have been that. So that this thing is condemned in the Word of God. And here is the verse for it. Wine is a mocker, strong drink is raging, and whosoever is deceived, thereby is not wise. And today, how many folk are being trapped by this sort of thing? America is becoming a nation of drunkards. I do not know about you, but I'm not impressed when the press and the news media always let us know the tremendous amount of taxes that comes in from the sale of liquor. Well, may I say to you, they always forget to tell you about the hospitals, the insane institutions, and the number of people that have been maimed for life by drunken driver. That is not reported today. And I understand that that type of news is suppressed because one of your biggest advertisers are the meccas of booze. And that today is as bad as drugs. I understand at the very beginning, and I get this from a man that actually is with law enforcement, and I'll not even attempt to identify him. He said to me, he said, you know, at the very beginning, the liquor interests helped fight the drug traffic because of the fact that they were afraid it was going to hurt their business. They'd much rather have a kid become a drunkard of alcohol than become a drug addict. And, you know, that sure was generous of the liquor industry. You just can't think of them being so big-hearted. They didn't want the kids to become drug addicts, but they would, you know, make them alcoholics. That is not bad, of course. And as a result, though, they began to see that people were beginning to make the comparison. Several of these youth groups came forward and they made the statement that they didn't feel that if they were going to smoke marijuana, that the crowd that was going to tell them not to do it ought not to be sitting around drinking cocktails. And you know, I felt like those kids had something when they said that. My friend, don't misunderstand me again now. I'm not for smoking marijuana. But I believe that that kid has as much right to smoke marijuana as you have to drink your liquor. My brother, I don't care who you are, that's listening today. This idea that you can point your finger at these kids, let's let's stop drinking the liquor, then we can talk to our young people about smoking marijuana. I say to you today, the hypocrisy of those outside of the church is lots worse than the hypocrisy that's on the inside of it. This is the thing that was the undoing of Noah. And this is something that from that day to the present hour, liquor has been a menace. Now, don't misunderstand me. Alcohol, if it's used right, is a medicine. But the minute that man transfers it over to the place of a beverage, that's when it becomes dangerous. And the number of alcoholics is increasing every year. It's one of the greatest tax burdens that we have today. But you don't get that through the news. And I'm of the opinion that this program will not be very popular on certain stations. In fact, we may get a notice that we either going to have to change our message or else get off. And may I say to you that it's a dangerous thing to lift your head against this hydra-headed monster that I think probably will bring our nation down. I don't think it's the missile coming over the pole that'll destroy us. I think that it is the liquor that is being sold today That's going to destroy our nation. Now, let me move on to verse 3. It is an honor for a man to cease from strife, but every fool will be meddling. (laughs) And that, my friend, is a very good one. A man who is a man does not want to carry on any kind of a contention or cause strife and continue it. And I think, frankly, that is a good mark of a Christian today. Someone has said the only ones you should try to get even with are the ones who have helped you. Now, try to get even with them, but not try to get even with your enemy. And a smart man will not try to get even with his enemies. And it's a matter of being yielded to God. And as we have said before, that God says, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, saith the Lord. And it's on that basis God says, Avenge not yourself. He says you depart from the pathway of faith when you attempt to take this into your own hands. You can't handle the matter. You're not capable of handling it. But God is, and he will handle it. Makes it a very marvelous, wonderful thing. Now, the child of God should remember what Paul said to the Philippians in Philippians 4, 5. Let your yieldedness be known unto all men. And Matthew Arnold called it, says... Let your sweet reasonableness be known unto all men. How important that is. Now, verse 4. The sluggard will not plow by reason of the winter. Therefore shall he beg and harvest and have nothing. You see, in winter time, or when it's cold in that land, doesn't get too extreme. But that's the time to go out and plow your ground and prepare the soil for the spring planning, But the sluggard, the lazy, he says, was well, too cold. I'll wait till it gets warmer. Well, when it gets warm, it's too late then to do your plowing and at the same time do your planting. And there's a note here, I would say, of humor in all of this. he will not plow by reason of the winter. Therefore shall he beg in harvest and have nothing. Just too lazy to do it. You've heard about the man that had a roof that leaked. And he said that the reason he didn't repair it was because when it didn't rain, he didn't need to fix it. But he says when it was raining and it began to leak, then he'd get wet if he got up there and attempted to fix it. So that's the reason he hadn't done it. Too lazy. Now we come here to a set of Proverbs that are together that to me at first seem totally unrelated. But there is apparently a relationship here that is based on certain words that speak of goodness and that which is right. I would say moral principles that are stated. Now, let me read this whole section here and keep that in mind, and I'll emphasize the word as we go through, and it's in practically every one of the Proverbs, by the way. Verse 6, "...most man will proclaim every one his own goodness." "...but a faithful man who can find." That is, here the word is goodness. And then, verse 7, "...the just man walketh in his integrity." That's your word. His children are blessed after him. Verse 8, "...a king that sitteth in the throne of judgment scattereth away all evil with his eyes." He scatters evil, you see. Verse 9, "...who can say I have made my heart clean?" I'm pure from my sin. The word pure again, you see, that occurs here along with goodness. And then notice, divers weights and divers measures. Both of them are alike abomination to Jehovah. That is, that which is false. And then verse 11, even a child is known by his doings, whether his work be pure and whether it be right. And then verse 12, the hearing ear and seeing eye, Jehovah hath made both of them. And the thought here is, use your head. God's given you eyes, He's given you ears. Listen and look. Look and listen. And that's not only good before you cross a railroad track, but that's good when you're facing life every day. Now, all through this are these moral principles emphasized, and there are two great thoughts here as I see them. First of all, we need to say this— Who can say, I've made my heart clean and pure from my sin? Well, can you? I'm sure that you cannot. No man, by his own efforts, no man can at all claim to be pure. Who would dare to make that kind of claim? Even that little babe in the crib that gets red in the face, that's revealing a temper there. I thought my little grandson at first, He just seemed to be free of sin. He was so wonderful. But I found out, my, he'd get red in the face, hold his breath even. And I thought, you know, that he was not subject to the total depravity of man. But I told my wife, I said, you know, he's beginning to show some of the characteristics of his grandmother. And I'm of the opinion that no one can except one way. If you would be heaven-bound, you must first be heaven-born. Except a man be born again, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. Now, the Lord Jesus said that to a religious man. We'd call him a good man. Now, no man can answer that question until he's come to Christ and said, I'm clothed now in the righteousness of Christ. I'm accepted in the beloved. But I still have that old heart that I had before. And I have that old nature. But now will you notice this, that goodness does count and integrity does count before the throne of God and purity is worth something. And a child of God is going to walk in a way in which he commends the gospel of the grace of God. Here's a good question. I've heard it for many years. If you were arrested for being a Christian, would there be enough evidence to convict you? Suppose you were brought up before a court in Russia today. They said, this fellow's a Christian. Would there be enough evidence there to convict you? Or would you be able to get all free and say, look, look at my life. Why, well, I didn't live like a Christian. I didn't walk in integrity. There was no goodness in my life. No desire for purity. And God says, now the hearing ear and the seeing eye, God gave you that. God has given you a certain amount of gumption, friends. A certain amount of common sense. God says, open your eyes. God says, unstop your ears. God says, stop, look, and listen. I got news for you. You can't make yourself pure, but I can give you that standing before God. I can remove the guilt of your sin and then enable you to walk in integrity in this world. This is a fine set of Proverbs, by the way. Now, verse 13, Love not sleep, lest thou come to poverty. Open thine eyes, and thou shalt be satisfied with bread. What he's saying here is to go to work. And you remember, that's what Paul said to the Thessalonians. If a man doesn't work, he's not to eat. You know, a great many were running out, saying, I'm looking for the Lord to come. Now, it's wonderful to look for him to come, but you won't run out and start gazing into space. It's going to cause you to put your nose to the grindstone and work harder than you ever had before. Then here's another one that's good. Verse 14, and this is humorous, and I hope you see the humor of it. Bad, bad, Seth, the buyer, but when he's gone his way, then he boasts it. A fellow goes in, you know, to buy something, buy an automobile. And he says, oh, I don't want this car. Look here, tires are not what they ought to be. Look like they're worn. And the motor doesn't sound too good. And there's a rattle back here. Oh, I'll give you so much for it. The man says, all right, I'll sell it. fellow says, well, I don't think it's worth it, but I'll buy it. Now he gets in the car and he drives home. Calls his wife out and the neighbors. He said, look what a bargain I got. You see, man, that's human nature, isn't it? Now we have here verse 15. There is gold and a multitude of rubies, but the lips of knowledge are a precious jewel. Our sense of values today are all wrong. Men today are measured by material things, not by the fact whether they have knowledge or not. Verse 16, Take his garment that is surety for a stranger and take a pledge of him for a strange woman. There are certain people that you better have them put up a little collateral, my friend, if you don't you will sure be taken in. Verse 17, bread of deceit is sweet to a man, but after it his mouth shall be filled with gravel. You may think you're getting by with it, my friend, but you're not because God's going to see to that. Now, verse 19, he that goeth about as a tale-bearer revealeth secrets. Therefore meddle not with him that flattereth with his lips. The man that flatters you to your face and then goes off and gossips about you, You better keep your eye on him, even when he's a deacon in the church. You better watch him. I was a pastor for a long time. Verse 20, Whoso revileth his father or his mother, his lamp shall be put out in obscure darkness. My friend, if you have a father and mother, you can boast of then boast of them. But if you can't say something good about them, and a lot of folk can't, then don't say anything. That's what this proverb was. You know, that's where Ham made his mistake. His father Noah got drunk, poor Ham, he exposed it, you see. Should have kept his mouth shut. There's certain things that you just don't run around and tell everything about. Then we want to go down to verse 24. Man's goings are of Jehovah. How can a man then understand his own way? Only the Spirit of God, you see, we can be led. Because we've never passed this way before. God told Moses that, I need to lead you. And God says that to you and me before. And then verse 25, it's a snare to a man rashly to say it's hallowed and after vows to make inquiry. The thing that he's saying here, and we're going to come back to it, don't make a vow until you're sure of what you're going to do. Don't go down in a meeting and dedicate your life until you thought it over, my friend. God doesn't want that kind of a sentimental decision, and there's too much of that today. Then we are told the spirit of man is the lamp of Jehovah, searching all the depths of the soul. I don't have time to go into this other than this, that the light is by the oil that's put in the lamp. Man's just a lamp. And until we're filled by the Holy Spirit, we don't become a light. Only the Word of God can give us light. We're just a lamp. And you remember those ten virgins... Five of them were foolish. They had lamps, but they didn't have the oil to make the light. That was the big problem that they had. And then let me just mention one other, and that is next to the last. Verse 29. The glory of young men is their strength, and the beauty of old men is the gray hair. The thing is, at your age. A young man is the one to be the athlete. The old man, he better not try to act young don't make a fool of himself he better act his age and he ought to reveal a little wisdom because that's what gray hair should indicate our time is up so until next time may god richly bless you my beloved
0: As we go today, I'd like to remind you that the Bible Bus continues in your community and in more than 250 languages around the world because of God's grace and the fruitful prayers and financial support of listeners just like you. If God has used this ministry in your life, you know we'd love to have you partner with us. You can simply mail your tax-deductible gift for 2023 before December 31st to Box 7100, Pasadena, California, 91109, Or for those in Canada, Box 25325, London, Ontario, N6C, 6B1, or make your gift online at ttb.org forward slash give. And of course, it would be our sincere pleasure to thank you personally when you call in your gift to 1-800-65-BIBLE. Again, that's 1-800-65-BIBLE. Now be sure to join us next time and into the new year as we continue this great study in Proverbs. We've learned so many practical things, and there are so many more lessons yet to be discovered. I'm Steve Schwetz, and I'll save a seat on the Bible bus just for you. Our story on the Bible bus today is just one step in a five-year journey through the entire Word of God. Come along for the ride, and you'll study both the Old Testament and New Testament, discovering God's great redemption story. Is this your story, too?